Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. Thanks for choosing to be with us online. Those of you who are online, thanks for being here. Those of you who are in person, it is so good to be with you all. Um, as we begin, um, I want to make sure those of you who are online who are able to engage with us in the best way possible. And to do that, you need to be on our online platform, which you can find at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. There you're going to find our live chat line, which creates community online, our Bible and prayer app, important links, and our notes section, which today has a bunch of content from our sermon. So make sure you take a look at that as well. Um, however you choose to join us online, though, and those of you here, we are, just want you to know how much we appreciate you participating with us. Um, your presence means a ton to us. Uh, before we begin, though, I'm going to start with a word of prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your presence and your provisions. And we thank you, God, that um, in you there's freedom. And we just confess even now this morning how hard it is for us to truly believe and live in the freedom that you give us. And so this morning as we engage in your word, as, as we engage with you, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would lighten our load, um, you would release us from things that have been binding us, you would help us hear the words from Paul, um, that we'd be encouraged to live out the true gospel that is in Jesus Christ that you have brought to us and changed us with, that we would bring it to others, share it with them, that they might experience it as well. And pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we are in the final chapter in our study in the book of Galatians we have called Gospel Culture. And if you haven't been with us, uh, quick review, Galatians is a letter um, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of new churches that he planted on his first missionary journey in what is now known as um, Central Turkey. And after Paul had planted these churches, some Jewish Christians arrived and they were teaching that these new Gentile believers um, needed to be circumcised and keep the Jewish laws of the Torah in order to really be saved and feel acceptable to God. In many ways, they were telling these new Gentile believers that, yes, Jesus is good, but Jesus is not enough. And Paul refers to these teachings as a false gospel. Really, anything that we add to the gospel of Jesus, Paul is calling a false, false gospel. And this is one of the main reasons why Paul's writing this letter. He cares deeply about both groups, the um, Jew and Gentile believers, and wants to make sure that they understand the full, true gospel of Jesus. He wants them all to experience the true freedom that comes from it. And so what we've seen throughout this letter is Paul hitting a number of questions to get at this. Like, for example, who are the true people of God? Israel and the Jews or this church that now has everybody? How should they govern their lives? By the law of the Torah or by following the Spirit? Are people saved by what they do or by, by how, what Christ has done for them? He talks about this idea of faith versus works and grace versus the law of Moses and the work of the law versus the fruit of the Spirit. And he's very passionate about this, and we feel it as we read this letter. And it's the reason why is because he's convinced that how we answer these questions ultimately leads us to true freedom in Christ or not, which is why it's really important for us to understand it as well. 
Now, the last two Sundays, we looked at chapter 5, where Paul moved um, to more of kind of a pastoral kind of dialogue about application, about what this gospel of Christ looks like um, as we live it out in our day-to-day life. And in just in review, chapter 5, what we saw is Paul calls these Galatian Christians to embrace their calling of freedom from the law. And as we talked about, this is a true freedom that affects you individually, socially, and psychologically. He tells them that if they are to get circumcised, that Christ would be of no benefit to them. He makes it clear that the key was not circumcision or any other laws. The key is love. Then Paul summarized the law as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He listed the works of the flesh and compares them to the fruit of the Spirit. And then he calls them to walk by the Spirit and not to provoke or, um, or envy one another. All of this leads us to the text that we're looking at today, which is chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I recommend you getting that and following along. If you're online, you can um, use our Bible tab, which is great. Um, Or you can just read along and follow along on the slides as we look at this. We're looking at Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at the whole 18 verses. It goes like this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives Um, instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor instructor do not be deceived God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up therefore As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, exclamation point. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So this is the closing of this letter, and you can feel the personal side of it. You can feel the kind of application side of it. 
And there's so much going on here. I wish we could do it. I mean, honestly, each, especially the first verse, but all of these have tons of details. And we're not going to go into all the details. We're going to do kind of a survey to try to capture everything that's going on. And, and hopefully that's okay. I think you're going to find a lot of things to tap into your own story. Um, but, but Paul continues to give us kind of these ideas in the first section practical ideas of what spirit-filled community looks like in action. And he names four kind of applications. Those who live by the Spirit restore one another from sin. They bear one another's burdens. They consider one another more important than themselves. And they share with one another. Now, before I hit on these, I want to share a quote that I got this week that I've been chewing on by author and theologian Leonard Sweet. It says this, the first trouble in the church was not from without, but from within. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, the punishment was severe for faking and thus tarnishing love and generosity. The greatest enemy of the church has always been and is now the church. The biggest threat to piety is piosity. Christians are most harmed by other Christians, orthodoxy, by the orthodox. Now, I'm not like Leonard Sweet that packs all this amazing power into a sentence or two, um, but the reason I share this is because it taps on a truth that's still going on today. And in short, this quote is getting at how the church still doesn't get it. And this is why Paul is so passionate about what he's sending this letter to, his friends. He wants to make sure we are not following and living out a false gospel because Paul knows the destruction it can cause for the witness of Christ in community. And so when we read this and we think about our own culture, we go, no wonder our world today has such a hard time with Christians. We still live in many ways according to a law, whether it's the Torah or our own laws that we've added to the gospel, and it causes us to live inauthentically, resulting in us tarnishing love and generosity. And this is exactly why Paul wants us to understand the true gospel and not just understand it, but live it out in our day-to-day -day life. And it's like that old song that says, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Paul says this new creation, this freedom in being led by the Spirit, this grace and love of Christ will change us in how we relate to one another. And one of those ways, Paul says, is that we will become people who restore one another, especially when someone is caught up in sin, and that we will do this with gentleness, again, referring back to the fruit of the Spirit, which means that this restoration process in action can't be done correctly without being in community with people and without being empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. And so my translation of this is that we are called to be followers of Christ that are known for building people up, not beating people up. And I ask you this, this is just for you to ponder, is this how the world sees the church? Does the world see the church as people who build others up or beat others up? Paul then says, we are to be known for bearing each other's burdens. And maybe another way to put this is that we are to be burden lifters, not burden givers. 
And there's a ton in just this concept that's going on. But it's about a community of people known for helping those who are carrying too much. These could be emotional, spiritual, or physical um, difficulties like um, the loss of someone, um, health issues, financial support, relational struggles, depression, you name it. Do you come alongside? Do you carry that load with them and lighten it for them so they can get through this? Now, burden lifters um, see and understand when people are overwhelmed by the weight of the circumstances of life and they come to support. And so you have to be in relationship with others to even know that that's going on. And then on top of that, be willing to come alongside and lift and carry some of that overwhelming weight. It's about relationship and community support. And this is in contrast to what it says a few verses later in verse 5. There he says each one is to bear their own load. Or literally the word is backpack. Think of it like you're going camping. I recently had the opportunity to go overnight camp at the Grand Canyon. Start at the top, go all the way down, sleep, go all the way back up, which was crazy making. Um, but when you go backpacking like this, you have to carry a bunch of stuff, right? You figure out all the things that you need. Um, and even the group you're with has a bunch of things you need. And we divvy it out and we share in bringing that, but you're carrying it. I don't show up with 10 outfits for my overnight and then say, hey, will you carry all this for me, right? I am responsible to carry my load, so there's both of these components in here. Are we burden lifters, not burden gifters? And I ask you that question again. Do you think the world sees the church as people who are burden lifters, who help those in need and are able to carry their own load? Or does the world see us as burden givers who often expect others to bear the weight of what is rightfully ours? These things tap into the way our world is, and it should look different. That's what Paul is saying. So then Paul moves on to say that as followers of Christ, we should consider one another, and this has to do with how we see ourselves and others. It's about being confident in God's grace and not comparing ourselves um, or basing our value in comparison to others. And the other side of this is about not looking down on others as well. And it ties back to this idea of, of acceptance and grace. If we've experienced the goodness of grace and the unconditional love of Christ, we should show it to ourselves and to others. And so, again, does the world see the church as people who look at themselves and others with grace and love and acceptance or with disapproval, comparison, and judgment? Now, finally, Paul says, followers of Christ should be people who share with one another. And although this particularly uh, context-wise has to do with the relationship between like a pastor and a congregant or a teacher and a learner, um, at the core, what it really has to do with is um, being people who give and receive generously. Why? Well, because biblically speaking, generosity in many ways is a litmus test for grace. You see, if all we do is give, then this typically leads to pride. And if all we do is receive, this typically leads to greed. 
And Paul is saying that as people who have experienced the true gospel of grace for all, we should be living examples of giving and receiving, of true generosity to the world. And so again, is this how our world views the church? Is this how the world views Christians? Now, these questions can kind of hit hard, and some of the language when we read it with Paul, it can sound a little harsh at times, but Paul is really trying to show his deep care for these people and the path that they're taking. He wants the Galatians to live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus, and Paul wants them to be set free from the law and the ways of the world, to be transformed into men and women who do good for all who bear the fruit of the Spirit and bring about evidence of this new creation that comes through Christ in their communities. And so then after he shares these particular examples of what this looks like in daily living, he he adds this kind of universal concept of sowing and reaping. It says this in verse 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, this concept, this image, is full of so much meaning and it really is universal in that you could pretty much share it with anyone and they can get the general idea. You don't have to be a farmer to understand it. But back then for these people, they knew the intricacies of this truth because it was how they survived, it's how they lived, it's how they got their food. And in our day to day, it's not as common to think in these terms, um, but it's still true. And the truth is you can't reap lettuce by sowing radish seeds, right? And we we can't fool anyone, let alone God, with this reality as well. We literally reap that which we sow. And then if we're generous with the seed, we'll gain a greater harvest. And if we're stingy with the seed, we won't enjoy as good of a crop as we would otherwise. And there's also components to this concept that include patience and and faith and trust and preparation and working and sustaining. We're not going to go into all this, but Paul is saying all of that applies to our spiritual life as well. And if we remember back in chapter 5, Paul contrasts the work of the flesh and the work of the spirit. And here again, he uses the same kind of contrast. He says, sarks, the flesh, depicts a focus on kind of bodily indulgence rather than on godly service. And if we remember, the works of the flesh include things like sexual immorality, adultery, sorcery, jealousy, drunkenness, and things like these. And in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit includes these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And and, in giving the contrast, Paul promises that the person who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The thing with this image, though, that many forget, and it's a really important key, is that we reap what we sow, but we also reap where we sow. 
which is why Paul is pushing this. It applies to our home, it applies to work, our finances, our community, our neighborhood, our body, our mind, soul, and spirit, everything. We reap what we sow and where we sow it. And so in short, Paul's closing out his letter, encouraging them to keep sowing to the spirit wherever they go with everyone they come into contact with. If you think about our culture, maybe even your own story, you know exactly what this is like. We know what it's like to sow the goodness of the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe here at church, it might not feel very present at all in our workplace or with our neighbors, that we, we know what it feels like to be ro- reaping something that we planted over here that's very different from what happens over here. And he wants us to understand that uh, it's important to think about what we sow, but it's also important to think about where we sow it. And I often wonder, with our world today, do, do, Christians, do people see Christians today sowing the fruit of the Spirit wherever we go? Paul's challenging with us that. And again, I, I say these questions as a challenge for both of us and to consider our own story and our own application, but I think it's also for us really helpful to get a picture of what this new creation in Christ is supposed to look like and what God's inviting us to participate in, right? It looks very different from the day-to-day our world says is how it should be. All this then leads us to Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. After he gives this sow and reap kind of conversation, he says this, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is this new creation. So what happens here is that Paul basically is saying, I'm going to put this last section in all caps, in all bold. Generally speaking, he often had his letters, he would dictate them for someone to put them together. And most likely was the case with this one as well. But at this point, it's like he says, hey, hold on here. I want to I take over. I want to make this really clear. I want this to be as personal, come from my heart as it possibly can. I want you to get the emphasis. And he's driving home, again, the points he's been making over and over again throughout the letter. And he does this again with several comparisons. I'm going to just try to hit quickly. The first is that this gospel-centered life in comparison to the ways of the world is humble, not prideful. And so again, he gives this picture of these false gospel pushers and says they're motivated totally out of pride. It's marred by manipulation and compelling these Galatians to be circumcised. It's about compromise to avoiding persecution It's full of hypocrisy because they can't even keep the laws themselves. They wanted to be able to boast about what they had done and how they got you to do it. And and Paul says, none of this represents the humility and freedom that is in Christ. He goes on and says, the gospel-centered life boasts in the cross, not in ourselves. And this idea to boast here is about 
uh, glorying in something, to make much of something, to be consumed with and to take pride in something. And, and usually it's associated with moralism and like how we assess how good we are. But Paul says he won't boast in himself or anything but the cross. And, and as Greg's done so many times over the series, reminded us of Paul's story. There was times in his life where of all the people, he could boast about anything he wanted. He's been transformed and saying, I have nothing to boast in but the cross. And Paul is saying that because in Christ, we have every blessing. We have peace and acceptance. Because of Christ, the wrath of God is not to be poured out on us. And because of Christ, we have this new creation. Paul says, because of the cross, we can be free from the world and its opinions and its enticements and its lust and drives and, and free to love others and enjoy a fellowship with God that would never have been possible before Christ. And Paul says, why boast in the self or anything else? The, this only comes from grace and the love of Christ and the work on the cross. He continues as he's closing this out and says, the gospel-centered life treasures Christ, not the world. He's saying that the cross is this present power in our lives and has the power to free us from the bondage of the world. And, and when he's referring to the world here, he's, he's referring to the systems and kind of the nature of the age. So this includes things like corruption and lust and hopelessness and futility, despair, all the things that are kind of present in the world, even today. Paul says here that we are dead to the world and it to us. As he said earlier, our position is that we have already been crucified with Christ. The old self has died. The rebellious, unbelieving, and enslaved self is gone. And now there's this new creation. And now that we have this new life in Christ, it doesn't mean that the world doesn't affect us. But because of the cross, the world doesn't have to crush us. And that's good news. And God will give us all that we need. And the enticements of the world, like the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride of life, they don't have to hold sway on us anymore. And so Paul says, live as if the cross means everything, as though Christ is your ultimate treasure. He makes one last comparison and says, the gospel-centered life values transformation, not external ritual. This is in verse 15 where he talks about neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. This is something we've talked about over and over again. It's, it's talking about this idea that the external rituals really mean nothing apart from a new creation in Christ. Paul says it differently in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here, exclamation point. The cross is done um, for us, what rule-following and religiosity could not do. We're made, remade from the inside out. We're a new creation, living in a new way now by faith. And the only thing that counts, as he said over and over, is our faith in Christ working itself out through love, through relationship. It's about Christ working in the lives of followers, transforming them and empowering them through the Holy Spirit to live in a different way. From here, 
Paul goes to really close it out, and he just gives his, his benediction, which he always does, and he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the masks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters, amen. Now, closing, Paul says, true believers walk by this rule, which is this Greek word, kanon. And back then, this word would have been used by like a carpenter to describe um, ways of measurement. So like a balance scale, a plumb line, or a ruler. And then later down the line, the early church adopted the word kanon as the word canon for the accepted list of the 66 books of the Bible. But Paul here uses this word, kanon, metaphorically as a standard or rule by which we can measure our lives. And it's rooted in the grace and love of Jesus, not the law or the Torah. And as he's closing out his letter, he's blessing this rule that now in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision amounts to anything. He then uses this phrase, Israel of God, which refers to this community of faith, the church that includes all followers of Christ, men and women, Jew and Gentile. And this word follow here is actually the same word we see earlier that says keep in step with the Spirit. It's the same concept. And so Paul's ending, encouraging the people of God to walk according to the true gospel of Jesus, not just having this kind of mental agreement, but that it would be clear in how they live out this gospel culture. Paul says, we find peace when we walk according to this gospel. We find and show mercy when we walk according to this gospel. So let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's be people who bring about the gospel culture that is all about freedom and grace and faith in Jesus expressing itself in love for all. Amen? Now, as we close, I was reminded yesterday by my Alexa device um, <laughs> that uh, yesterday marked the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech going all the way back to 1963. And in it, Dr. King is painting a picture of freedom and acceptance and equality. And we still recognize the power in that today, and we recognize that the dream that he has is not still fully here, right? He was trying to help people live a different, better, more loving way of seeing and treating all people. And it wasn't just something he thought about, right? He lived it, and he died for it. In many ways, this is what Paul is doing with this letter. He's painting a picture of what true freedom grace, acceptance, and love for all looks like. It looks exactly like the work of Christ on the cross. And the power of the resurrection looks like this new creation, this new gospel culture lived out in our day-to-day -day as led by the Spirit, producing the fruit of the Spirit in and through us for all. Friends, as we close out this summer series and as we... Um, begin the new fall school year, which is crazy, and this new rhythm of life that's going to kick in. Um, may we be set free in every way by the gospel of Jesus as we continually put our hope and faith in the work of Christ on the cross. 
May we continue to be shaped and filled and led by the Holy Spirit to bring about the good work of the fruit of the Spirit in our daily lives. And may we share this gospel and the true freedom that comes from it with everyone because it is for everyone. Amen? Now, I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. They're going to play instrumentally just for a few moments to give us some space to kind of ponder and kind of chew on what we've learned. And as they do, I do have a couple kind of questions of reflection, questions of application, and I would love to hear your thoughts. If you are present here, there's a connection card on your seat. You could use that to share your answers if you're online. Um, There's a link for an online connection card, and it would be awesome if you'd use that. These are really great ways to hear how um, what we're teaching is connecting with you and what you have questions about or um, you'd like more information about. Um, So if you'd be willing to answer one or multiple of these questions, that would be great. I only have three. Question number one, be honest. When you think about your day-to-day life, what have you been sowing, and how does it differ from where you work, live, play, etc.? So just think of the different areas of your life, where you're about, what are you sowing and reaping, and how does it differ, if it does, from those different areas of life? Number two, are you happy with what you're reaping? Are you happy with what you're reaping? And number three, where might the Holy Spirit be leading you in new ways of living out your faith expressed in love, and how do you plan on responding to this? And again, the idea here is that it's not just a, a cerebral thing. This is a, it, it's to be expressed outwardly in relationship. And so what does it look like if the Holy Spirit leading you, how do you respond to that outwardly? So again, I'd love to hear from you if you'd take a moment to do that. Um, also want you to use this space to pray, to confess, to own, uh, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream. Whatever you feel called to in this time, the band will continue to play and give you space to do that. I want you to know that our prayer team is back, and so if you'd like prayer, if you're present here, you can come up and they'll pray for you. If you're online, all you have to do is hit that request prayer button on the left on our chat line, and they will connect with you in the order in which they receive that. Please be patient that if there's someone present they're praying for, they will get to you next online and vice versa. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer, and then Brian will give us some space to reflect, and then we'll join together with one last song of response. So with that, let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we pray that you would open us up. Open us up and fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Consume those areas in our life where we've caught up in our own laws, our own rules, our things that have been restrictive, that have either caused us to judge others or to feel judged. God, we pray that as you fill us, that you would reveal those places where we truly have not been sowing the fruit of the Spirit. We haven't been reaping the goodness of your grace. And God, we pray that you would help us to be men and women who are cultivating this new creation in our day-to-day life with our neighbors, with our families, with our friends, with our community, our workspace, wherever we go. And God, we ask that you would truly set us free. We all have things that we feel locked up in. We thank you, Jesus, that in you, in the work of the cross, the work of the Spirit, we are free indeed. Help us not just to think it, not just to know it. Help us to live it 
and invite others into experience the goodness of that as well. And as we go about our day, be with us, Holy Spirit. Lead us, guide us, provide and protect us. Help us to be uh, instruments of your love as we go through our day. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.